I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Row Studios, in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Men in tweed, Dave. We're both wearing tweed today, because it's still sprinter. (laughs) Every time I get on a plane to fly to England, it snows heavily in New York City. Is it going to snow heavily today? It hasn't started snowing yet. Well, as soon as I head towards JFK, Mm -hmm. apparently the heavens are going to open. (laughs) It's as if New York itself wants to protect me. Yeah. From going back to Blighty. Yeah. What are you going back to Blighty for this time? I'm going to spend some time. Or is time that on a need-to-know basis? With the, uh, no killings yeah. this time. Okay, no, good. Uh, no extractions. Uh-huh. No ki- I'm going to spend some time with some of the Brazilian team. Uh-huh. Hopefully David Luiz. Oh. And Paulinho. Wow. Good. Yeah. Is this a forthcoming article on ESPN FC or is this for your movie? It's for a movie about Brazil. How do you say it? What, Brazil? Brazil. Brazil. I've been trying to think about how phonetically to write Brazil. And I think it's like a B, R, and a W combined. With a little bit of a V in there, perhaps. Brazil. Zeal. Zeal. How would you spell zeal? Brazil. You're asking a man that can't say the word Argentina properly. GHL. I don't know how to say it. With a little... You need all those Russian Cyrillic soft signs and things that you don't have in the English alphabet. By the way, I'm going to interview four Brazilian supermodels on Friday. Where? Vogue. Wow. For their World Cup special. They listen to Men in Blazers in Vogue, apparently. <laughs> Anna Wintour, huge sports fan. In Vogue is something different than Vogue. And I'm going to tell, I'm very uh, excited. Okay, good. Because I believe beauty is on the inside, David. Yes, me too. But anyway, enough about football. We are. Do you have March Family Madness? Jim Nance and Stevie Kerr, you and me. <laughs> yeah, we, we are, really? Yeah. Oh my God. Do you have March Madness? Um. I've got a slight itching in my down balloons. Uh-huh, in your undercarriage. Slight, I must say it's a slight itching. I mean, I do, I love Mercer offending Duke. Uh-huh. I thought that was phenomenal, but I realised why I loved it. That photo of Coach K and his staff with their hands across the air eyes as the seconds tick down. It looked very David Moyes, Phil Neville, Steve Brown. <laughs> so even my pleasure of basketball is football related. By the way, if I were David Moyes, I would show that game to my players, a 14th seed knocking off a three. Yeah. So I could show to them that before Bayern Munich, that football is not played on paper. Yeah. Anything can happen. Tom Cleverly, get your nene ready. Yeah. Um, I did used to love the tournament. I've not had a huge amount of time. I still love the tournament. I love basketball. I properly love basketball. But I've watched less basketball this year than any year previously. Yes. And I'm not watching the tournament. I watched a bit of uh, Kentucky, Wichita State at the weekend. Um, you know, Wichita State, unbeaten, Rog. Un beaten having the perfect season got knocked off by by, uh, by Kentucky so I watched a bit of that that's the only it's the only oh, matchup I've watched I used so to far love in the it. 1995-96 UMass yeah uh, not for Marcus Camby and not for that backcourt Puerto Rican intelligent duo Padilla mm-hmm. and Treviso I just love that an American sports team would play a forward called Dana Dingle <laughs> the top 10 Americans of all time obviously up there with 97 Providence and God Shamagod yeah. but now it's a good American name like Jermaine Defoe <sighs> Dana Dingle, meet Jermaine Defoe. Um, But now, March Madness to me is just a reminder of how much football there is on American television. There is so much football. We're living in a time of soccer abundance, David. Soccer. (laughs) 
The soccer. It's like sprinter. The, the soccer trail foam. Yeah. It's what it is. I, I mean, there's so much Premier League, so much La Liga, so much... International breaks. PSG, Bayern, Juventus to watch. I don't have any time. And I do, I realise this is the problem MLS are facing, Davey. Bandwidth. And now we're going to have the championship and the League One playoffs and all of those things going on. And not the Charlie Stilitano trophy. Oh, the Charlie Stilitano Cup playing for the life-size gold-painted... Uh, trophy Nude Nude Of Charlie, of Charlie Stilitano. Stilitano My god what a trophy it's, a, it's almost impossible to stand that trophy up It's impossible to lift over your head it's so well endowed Yeah um, It is that, that to me is MLS's biggest problem The bandwidth Bandwidth is the football lover's greatest enemy Who has time? That's interesting That's interesting That's a challenge for an MLS But I gotta tell you I'm watching more MLS Than ever before Me too more than ever. Michael Bradley, thank you very much. I know. Toronto. Oh, quite into this Toronto team. It's re- I was just there yesterday. The C- I've got to say, the city's got the fever. They do. Yeah. What's that stadium like? It's I want to go up there. It's on the water. It's it gorgeous. Is. Is it it's close to downtown? The way to the, yeah, right there. On the outskirts. It's got a beautiful place that looks over the city, CN Tower. I mean, it is a gorgeous, properly, properly gorgeous city. Mm-hmm. You can almost pretend you're not in Canada when you're there. Almost. Mm-hmm. Did you Always. see Beckham's announcement of uh, Miami? Yep. Are you writing about that? No. <laughs> uh, I write about things that, <laughs> please God, will happen in our lifetime. Can we have some picks for the final, uh, final uh, two? Well, I've got to say, they're the only team I've seen. I'm going to say Kentucky, but that also is because I always believe professionals will beat amateurs every time. <laughs> <laughs> the pros will always beat the amateurs, I'm sticking even by, if they're only 19 years old. I'm sticking by my picks, Evergreen State versus Liberty University in the final. Fingers wow. crossed, I'll win a lot of money. If <laughs> you that could happens. do well. Are the, are the I, uh, ICC still in there? <laughs> University of Phoenix, are they still there? Um, uh, okay, Rod, we've got a packed show. We're going to perform an autopsy on every game uh, that Madison this past weekend. Unfortunately, we're recording this before the United, the Manchester Derby uh, uh, tonight. Oh, United uh, is so good. We're going to marvel at. El Clasico, as we tend to your Ravens, and we're going to proclaim this, Rog. This oh. is our Tipalagum special. The big one. Hello! <laughs> By welcoming back to the pod one of our favourite guests of all time, Saint. And he really has been, or should have been, canonised. Yep. May as well be for us. Come on, Pope. He Saint, listens to the pod, the Pope. Saint, uh, Saint Bob Bradley. Great friend of the Pope. Yeah, Saint, uh, Saint Bradley... St. Robert of Princeton, I think we can call him. Uh, we're between 31-38 and 28-38 of the way through the Premier League season, Roger. Just with this, um, you know, fixture uh, uh, imbalance, it's just very difficult. Some teams can be reduced, other teams can't be reduced. It's almost impossible Stop to follow. Stop defying science, Premier League. I know, maths. And what a weekend it was. The goals overflow it, Roger. More goals scored then runs were scored at the 2020 World <laughs> Cup down in, the, down, in the, down in the islands. Arsenal were decapitated uh, by Chelsea, by Little Horse. Liverpool runneth over. Wayne Rooney scored, one would say, perhaps the goal of the season. Manchester City, phew, not in the face. Poor Fulham fans. Uh, what a weekend it was, Rog. Let's start off. Chelsea, six. Arsenal, nil. Chelsea's goal-scoring frenzy, Rog, humiliates Arsene Wenger on his 1,000th game in charge. A mistaken... Identity red card dismissal. Something, a sequence we couldn't even have written. We couldn't even have imagined that sequence, Rog. It only adds to Arsenal shame. The only good news for Arsenal fans was, for once, none of this was Meza Ozil's fault. Oh, how happy must Jenkins be, David? Oh, Jenkins. Jenkins is probably quite happy he today. Must have, he must have kind of not cracked a smile, but just. Yeah. Just maybe just the left side of his face may yeah. have gone upwards yeah. and slightly I less know. menacing. I like most people. 
but I properly ate the Arsenal. Oh, Jenkins, we're listening to you. I, I can think of no more an app fitting poignant and even Arsenal-ish way for Arsene Wenger to celebrate his thousandth game, David. Although the handing arch rival <laughs> Jose Mourinho his biggest win ever as Chelsea manager. I mean, it is amazing. Although the look of Arsene Wenger's face when he's celebrating versus when he's miserable, there is not a massive difference between the two faces. Yeah, it's like Jenkins. This is not a Happy man who Jenkins. sells enjoyment. Jenkins when he's just murdered <laughs> yeah. an innocent in a dark alley. Similar. Yeah. No, uh, it I'm was at- incredible that it would be that his thousandth game would be against Jose Mourinho and you would end up in the scoreline. I mean, you can't write it. 1907, 1908 was the first season they played. They've never lost right, yeah. that heavily. But it was a midfield mismatch, Smalls versus Tools, in which there could only be one winner. I have to say, Wenger has taken a huge amount of crap in that game. In his defence at the beginning, before we break the game down, he had no idea. No one had any idea that arguably, for the first time this season, David, Chelsea would play concussive, beautiful, power football. We've been waiting for this. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I don't know. At a certain point, the game was over, so it was a scrap for a, for a, for a few minutes. And then Arsenal had that great scoring chance, a great save by Czech. You know, uh, good chance for Giroud. yeah, good good chance for Giroud, and they go down the other end. You know, but they were winning the game as Chelsea have so often beaten Arsenal in the last few seasons by strength of tackle in the middle of the park. Matic, you know, we can look at a lot of what Chelsea did since that loss to Stoke in the in the midwinter when uh, he's, when Mourinho decided to bolt up the defence. The partnership between Terry and Cahill since then has been amazing, but Matic and the emergence of that kind of and I would say he's the modern Premier League midfielder, Rog. This is the guy that Man United fans have been calling for for years. This is a guy who can go toe-to-toe with a Yaya Toure. The strength of Matic in the middle of the field. Um, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain, one of my favourite Premier League players. Um, really, one of my favourite England players. He had a nightmare of a game, even before, frankly, the save of the season. <laughs> but it was... <laughs> Uh, but Matic was so strong in the middle. But I don't think it was a... This wasn't a performance, even by Chelsea, of creative artistry. It was where they just knocked them out straight down the middle. It was like an MMA scrap, It Rog. was, right at the beginning. I mean, I felt terrible, I have to say, for Arsenal fans in general, for whom uh, the power of positive thinking has probably been, if they didn't already know it, proved to be a complete and utter hoax. I felt particularly sorry... For Arsenal fans who get up in the West Coast at like 5am, yeah. they're oh, like stumbling into a bar and could you head felt sorry for Piers Morgan. I, couldn't, I can't go that far, <laughs> Dave. I, I mean, I think uh, mercy has its limits, but they had to head off back to bed. A lot of people were tweeting us 10 minutes into the game, getting back into their cars, driving home. Four minutes, 23 seconds, 11 goals for Eto, all at home. A beautiful finish, Dave. A beautiful finish by the Punisher. And a fantastic goal celebration. That goal celebration, walking, it was, it was like an EA Sports FIFA celebration. There is probably an Eto celebration in FIFA, which is identical to that celebration. He almost walks perfectly to that same camera that's in the corner on FIFA. <laughs> and he just does that. And it's the perfect, slowly rock side to side with his hands on his hips. Morning, so look at me. I do that. I'll tell you, naked. After naked. I'm, I'm naked. <laughs> I am naked. That's how you. That's how you say good that's morning I, to the world. That's how I say Cheers. good morning to the world, and that's how I pod, Dave. One and the same. <laughs> I do. I, I do that little Eto oh, swagger. It was oh, such a punishment. great goal celebration. Eight, eight minutes, and he was off. He'd done his job. 
You could go back into the changing room. But less than two minutes later, the lead was doubled. Surely, your favourite German. Yeah. With his speed, his movement, and the way his quiff retained its perfect bounce for the full 90 minutes. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Product. What we'll, have to talk, product we'll have to talk to Rebecca Lowe about that. But I've got to tell you, 2-0 in less than seven minutes. It would have been less shocking to me if Jose Mourinho had just walked up to Wenger in the technical area, <laughs> opened up his puffer coat, and just ripped out his still-beating heart, holding it aloft for all to see, like Mola Ram in Indiana Jones. But both David. goals came from, obviously, great finishes, both of them. But both goals came from, it's like a boxing match where you knock your opponent out by just hitting him in the stomach so many times so hard and winding him. It's that they were knocked in the stomach. A and, what Arsenal, and a lot of people are criticising Wenger for not playing Flamini in midfield, and maybe in hindsight that would have made a difference. The player, though, I think Arsenal are missing is they're missing Theo Walcott. They're missing a player who can... Chelsea's back four are no doubt, and they are so strong. That entire back four from as you know, Dave, let's just not even try to say his name, <laughs> uh, over to Ivanovic. They are just so physically strong. But you do see them being susceptible to some speed to go and do there. Arsenal had no speed up front to try and loosen up the middle of Chelsea. Chelsea stayed really compact, and they just killed them in the middle, and that was the reality but, of both goals. Are you Tottenham in disguise, saying the delirious Chelsea fans? The midfielders kept turning the ball over the Arsenal players. Chelsea would then hurtle up field. Uh, as Chelsea do. You have to say about the Ox. I mean, his turnover led to the first goal. His handball mm-hmm. gave up the third. Being interviewed by Arlo White before the game may be the new Sports Illustrated cover curse. <laughs> but let's talk about it, David. But also, Arsenal have to. Arsenal have to be careful. They've got that Arsenal fan with the long beard and the, and, and the earrings who goes... The most annoying sports fan since the New York Jets kind of fireman Arsenal. Guy fans you cannot put that guy behind the goal he becomes the greatest target for opposing strikers <laughs> and midfielders because you see him behind the goal and you just want to kick the ball through the net and it like take his face off you do not want to place him anywhere near the goal there's a little hint yeah um can you t- talk to me about the racial profiling david which seems to be alive and well in the english premier league either that or this was the worst case of mistaken identity since well, I've got so much. Honestly, since, I could do an entire urinated on the wrong I could do an entire Lebowski. podcast just about that sequence, that minute thirty second sequence. Um, Today in awkward number English one racism. Podcast. Fantastic save. One has to say that Oxlade Chamberlain, if he weren't already on the plane to go to Brazil <laughs> for the World Cup, he would be going as the third goalkeeper. That was a fantastic take. He was arguably more active than Chesney uh, on the on the next two goals that were scored. It was a remarkable save. Yes, the ball looked like it was not going uh, into the net uh, from Hazard's shot, but it was it was a fantastic save. What happened next? Anybody who is still opposing. The use of video technology, Robbie Musto, uh, because of the idea that it will slow the game down. It now slowed the game, or that video technology is not somehow ready to go and deal with these situations. Video technology would instantly have seen that it was Alex Hotley Chamberlain, not uh, Kieran Gibbs. Video technology would instantly have seen that the ball was not going in the net, that it was the, the track the ball was on. And uh, we wouldn't have had the red card. Um, and. Uh, you know, the right player would have been sent off. It would have been, or, or the right player would have been booked. Um, so, I mean, uh, the, the awkwardness of the thing. Andre Mariner was the full guy. I don't think he even saw it to begin with. But it's know, not just Andre Mariner. I want to know who other assistants. There are who four assistants. Who whispered in his ear that it was that it was Gibbs. I mean, I'm not a lip reader, 
But I believe um, I believe Gibbs was saying to Mariner before he went off. He, he quoted the great English cultural critic Ali G and said, "Is it because I is black?" I mean, part of me thinks Gibbs was actually psyched to go off so he could claim no responsibility for the tonking that followed. But so many of you, so many of you GFOPs, were so distinctly unimpressed by the whole episode at Sports in Briefs tweeted us at Men in Blazers if the NBA can spend five minutes trying to figure out possession the English Premier League can take 30 seconds to know who should be sent off it is so ridiculous at the Stefan Zero said this is the rare occasion when John Terry can be relieved he's no longer the biggest racist on the pitch well I mean look this is I, I actually choose not to I think it would be unfair to accuse Andre Mariner of of any form of racism in what happened, I think really? that's a you step. think if Jamie Carragher was still a, playing and he he, cre- he fouled someone, they they'd send off Stephen Gerrard. No, but I don't think we have any idea what happened. You know, in terms of who's communicating in his ear, what else is being said to him about why he goes and does it. He has three other assistants there telling him what to go and do or helping him out with the decision. And I think just to just to be the judge and jury on Andre Mariner and use the word racist against him, I think it's a little unfair to go and do it. However, of course, for the Premier League and for the Referees Association, this of course has massive questions are asked about about prejudice and massive questions are asked about the inefficiency of how decisions like that uh, get made. There have been cases of wrongful dismissal that have not involved players of colour, that involve white players too. That's And I'm, I'm not saying that it's not there, but I'm saying that it's just before we throw around the word racist, we've got to be a little bit careful about that. Racist. Video technology is... It's just this idea that it will slow down and it can't happen. It is television, and we've spoken about this. Football and football refereeing was was not developed in the television age. When we grow up, we couldn't even have seen Chelsea play against Arsenal in the league because it wasn't live. We would tune into final score to hear the results. We wouldn't have seen the game. We wouldn't have seen the appalling refereeing decisions. And sometimes somebody might have said something, but that's very different from having seen it. With the advent of cameras and the advent of technology, the advent of slow-mo, the advent of replay, we have to give these guys a place. It is so easy to do. You don't have something that interrupts the flow of the play. You don't have something that interrupts the thrill of scoring goals. You just say red card decisions and penalty decisions go to review automatically. And the pace of review, and I've spent a lot of time around Paul Hawkins, who developed developed Hawkeye, developed the goal line technology that's in the Premier League, He has the technology to do it instantly and much quicker than the decisions are being made. In fact, a lot of the video technology, when they do Hawkeye in tennis, they slow it down to build more drama. They know instantly whether that ball was in or whether it was out. They slow it down in order to build the drama. It can happen instantly. There's no reason to fight it. The thing I find remarkable, it's not that FIFA and UEFA and the Premier League are hesitant about bringing it in. I'm amazed that the referees themselves want to literally run around naked with their pants down every weekend, not being able to see it. The referees need to back this. And this could be the moment when that happens. You know, all I'd say is it does happen, the review, but it's happening all around the stands as fans look at their handhelds, look at Twitter, immediately know it's wrong. And the only person who doesn't uh, is the referee. I mean, I'm trying to think when that happened, how things could have felt worse for Wenger. Um, the only way I can think is if an alien life form just suddenly on the sideline tried to force its way out of his anus. I sent the changing rooms at half time. I imagine when they chopped in there, Mourinho just getting up 
in front of his players, laughing, probably exposing his genitalia to his team and shaking it around energetically. Mourinho? Yeah. Oh, Wenger. Yeah. Just like the, the players walking in, he's playing Edith Piaf softly, lying down, reading some <laughs> Jean Genet, the blacks, to his discombobulated charges. And there, in the referee's changing room, Andre Mariner, Dave. He must have gone all Edward Munch as he looked at this video of his blunder. God. For me, the entire highlight of the season, this is right up there with the classic uh, commentary from the World Cup in 66 of they think it's all over, it is now, is, was Arlo White's, wait a minute, is that, is that Kieran Gibbs walking to the sideline? It just was a classic moment that will just go on forever. His sort of shock and consternation as it's occurring to Arlo White what is just going on and realising that he couldn't even write this or imagine how bad this is just turning out. Um, Superb theatre. I mean, the one thing you could work out is Arsenal in big games. Look, they've now shipped six Why? goals I don't get away it. at City. I, I have no explanation. five away at Liverpool. And then now six at Chelsea. Big games. Arsenal are as leaky as an old bloke in a pair of Depends. Even worse, David, the opening 20 minutes of their games away, Chelsea, Liverpool and City, I think they've conceded, is it seven goals? Yeah. This is a defence which we once praised. A a journalist called Roger Bennett once wrote a piece of dodgy writing about how great (laughs) the defence is. Once so vaunted. Now, you could blame injuries. Wilshire, Ramsey, Ozil, Walcott out. You could... Same mentality, fear begets fear, David. I mean, that selfie photograph taken last week by Chesney seems like a thousand games ago. Yeah. Is this a team who, in big games, they just want it in the face? Yeah, Andrew from Toronto, uh, you weren't with me on the radio on Monday. Carl Martino stepped in admirably for you, Rog. Oh, he's so uh, The... Um, but Andrew from Toronto, one of our favourite callers, yep. uh, called, a sleeper cell was activated. Yeah, and then an he made his... Uh, and then he made his point that the reason is, is that this is the historical battle between efficient football and aesthetic football. And Arsenal are trying to play aesthetic football, <clears throat> and the only teams in the world who can play aesthetic football in the modern era are, are Barcelona, are perhaps Bayern Munich. Maybe late in Orient. Maybe late in Orient. And that they, that they can't handle when you put their slightly sub-brand of aesthetic football against Chelsea's mastery of efficiency, they can't win. However, that might explain the Chelsea victory. It doesn't explain losing to Liverpool and to Man City, who are definitely aspiring to play aesthetic football. I think there is something about a big game thing. And I think the question about Arsene for me is in the modern era when players need to be man-managed, is whether Arsene, and though... You know, you talk about him, you know, reading Genet and, and listening to Edith Piaf. He certainly is not a one of these sort of younger coaches who can who can communicate, you know, eye to eye on more level terms with these players. And perhaps he just loses the ability in the big games to really just get them up for it. But it's more than an academic question for Arsenal fans, Davo, because right now there's uncertainty about does he want to commit his future to the Gunners? He said there shouldn't be any uncertainty about his future. He's still expected to sign a new contract at the end of the season. Uh, I mean, do you want it? First of all, we should say it's a thousand games, an amazing feat, even though Mourinho came out with the most begrudging backhanded compliment on it. Um, I admire him and the club, he said, the way they support the manager, especially in the bad moments, which were quite a lot. What a line. What a line from that bloke. Uh, but he was game-changing. I mean, it's hard to imagine new listeners and new English Premier League football fans how prehistoric, Davo, 
the football league was, or English football was, beer, booze and burgers and birds before he came and transformed the culture yep. and its mental, physical preparation. But tactically, he was behind here. You know, what Pellegrini did when he lost to uh, Chelsea in the league, he came back and played them again uh, a week later, two weeks later in the Cup. And he kept his men behind the ball in advance, you know, not allowing Chelsea to counterattack. I think for the first two goals, both times when the ball was given away in midfield, Arsenal had five or six players ahead of the ball at the point that the ball was given away. You cannot play against Chelsea like that. You will just be decapitated, as happened at the weekend. And other teams have figured that out against Chelsea. Wenger didn't. I mean, that's it, ultimately, about should he sign a new contract, should he not... He could be outdated here, Dave, like a Lord Grantham outrun by the modern age. I mean, Mourinho haters, and there's many, there's many. I mean, I watched him kind of position himself at the mouth of the tunnel so Wenger couldn't miss him when he walked onto the field. Oh, that was... And then he shaked his hand without looking at him and walked off. So derisory, so perfunctory, the bare minimum, just a symbol of he his... He maintained intent. control of the situation. Yeah, he knew he'd get blamed if he didn't say anything to Wenger, yeah. so he gave him the bare grudging respect it was kind but of waited for him for three minutes so it looked like he was waiting for him and it was it was a master it was a master control and i want to know when he thinks these things out when do these things come to him but he, however however you feel well, about he reacted him. in the moment because wenger was late out of the tunnel so he just waited there for him oh it was just the big question is would you if you support wheels. a club would you want marino to be your manager and almost everybody if they were being honest would say yes but the question is would you want Arsene Wenger to walk into your club? Would you be excited then? And I honestly think, Dave, I honestly think you probably wouldn't at this stage. It's interesting. You know, you brought up Duke earlier on and you, you know, and obviously they lost and it was a, the big upset. But Krzyzewski is a guy who's always impressed me as a coach. He's sort of an elder statesman. He's a very smart man. He doesn't look automatically like a guy who communicates with young people very well. But what he does, and I listen to his radio show occasionally on Sirius when it was on, and he... The way he talks to young players and communicates with them is every single part of his of his of his coaching style. You just don't get the sense that Wenger is really in communication with one on one or like it's not even about like I'm sure he speaks to them, but he's not really speaking the same language to those players. And I think that he's not like you know. I doubt that Jose was like, you know, waggling his cock in the dressing room and, and, and you know, I had that on, you know, had that on, I doubt he was doing that, record, but you do source. feel as though he does hang out with his, with his players and like have a good time. I don't think Wenger's doing the same thing. And I think in the modern era, that might not be the way that players respond to a manager. How does it feel to be an Arsenal fan? On one hand, you've got the best managed team financially. You've got a revenue generating stadium. Uh, on the other you were pace setters this season, but you're clearly not built to compete. You're, you're, you're a species whom even some Manchester United fans probably felt pity for. Um, at Wonkitree said it's like Viserys being crowned with molten gold by Cal Drogo. But at Bacon Bit, 501 nailed it. He said this season, being an Arsenal fan, you feel like a Spurs fan. That's why it's come to, David. Well, you want to win the FA Cup if you're an Arsenal fan. And by the way... Arsenal are not secure in fourth place, and we're going to talk about that when we get to Nigel. Nigel rules are back in effect. That's all Nigel rules are back in effect. Um, <laughs> Cardiff three, Liverpool six. Read that. Let again, me just read that scoreline again. Cardiff three. This is after I've read Chelsea six, Arsenal nil. Cardiff three, three goals, three balls put in the back of the net. Rog. Mm -hmm. Liverpool six. Liverpool burnish. 
their credentials as aspirational title challengers, coming from behind twice to batter their Welsh opponents, at least three of them are Welsh, courtesy of Luis Suarez's third hat-trick of the season. First time this scoreline ever in Premier League history. Really? For an away team. Yeah. Wow. Apparently. The more I watch Liverpool, David, yeah. the more I realise mm-hmm. we don't give them full credit. For? Well, Spain and Barcelona. We, we give them a lot of credit. They played the false nine. They pioneered the false nine. Yeah. I've realised Liverpool have pioneered their own tactical innovation, a radical one this Which season. Is? The false back four. Yeah. Their team is based on this theory, not the end of history, the uh-huh. end of defence. Yeah. They're like Dan Fout, San Diego, Air Coriel Chargers. They're like Canseco and Maguire, the Bash brothers. Who needs defenders, David? What's that Fukuyama, the end of history, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Brendan Rodgers reads Fukuyama. Yeah. Come on, lads, go out there and Fukuyama them up. After he wrote that, we then had 9-11, you know, and all these other things. But, uh, yeah, the book, the end, end of, of history. Defense. The end I mean, of really, defense. Here's the That's question for you, David. Who needs defenders when you've got three goal machines like yeah. Luis Suarez, England's Daniel Sturridge, and Martin Screaming Skirtle? Well, I mean, he, if you don't have defenders, you don't have Skirtle skirtling you. After you've scored, oh, jumping yeah. on your back and and uh, and, and wiping many... his undercarriage on the back of your neck. <laughs> I wonder how many husbands and wives did that this week. <laughs> Skirtling. Oh, I'm going oh, to skirtle you right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you skirtled and me he's scoring. I, and, uh, I did. I, I skirtled you today. But there is a. I enjoyed that. It was actually. A, it was actually a moment. <laughs> and you don't have. And they're scoring goals. The defenders as well. Skirtle scored again at the weekend. The, um, here's a stat for you from yeah, Paul Carr. I love stats. Who we're going to get on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Liverpool ESPN's Paul have Carr. never lost when Martin Skirtle scores two goals. Wow. He's done it twice. <laughs> and they won both times. Yeah. That's quite a stat. Um, yeah, a very impressive performance. Liverpool just, you cannot fail to enjoy watching Liverpool play football. Yeah, I mean, right they now. were 1-0 down, they were 2-1 down. Cardiff fans felt buoyant enough to sing about how Joe Allen's dad is Jimmy Savile. Google it, America. <laughs> but it, Cardiff's great start, it was like poking a snow leopard with a sharp stick. Liverpool are the one team you do not want to get into a shootout with. Not yeah. when they have S, A, S, A, S, Davo, Suarez, Sturridge, Screaming Skirtle. What finishes? I, I, think, he, I think he flicks headers. In training, he perfects his goal scoring by pretending he's knocking the ball into his own net. And you have to respect Suarez for that hat-trick. I mean, he has survived the trauma of having Martin Skirtle's boy parts smothered all over the back of his head. I predicted that experience would make sure he'd never score again. It seems to have had completely the opposite effect, David. They like being Skirtle. He found it inspiring, the sweet caress. Yeah, Daniel Sturridge is moving so well. He's just... He's telepathic. He's playing good football yeah do you know why according to the mirror one of the most creative footballers that we're ever going to see do you know who his inspiration is who according to the mirror striker Daniel Sturridge 24 is it Daniel Sturridge in 10 years time is it like McConaughey (laughs) he wants to get in the mood he watches videos of himself scoring for Liverpool on the way to matches to (gasps) quote get himself in the mood Uh uh-huh Watching videos of yourself, he should watch a video of himself watching himself scoring goals. He'd yeah. Get very, very Matthew McGonaghy. Yeah. Don't you think? That's excellent. But again, credit Brendan Rodgers. He continues to tinker with his side. Sometimes he starts Coutinho when he wants to pass a, uh, through teams. Other times he starts Sterling when he needs some defence stretching pace. Uh, I think if I were him, I'd be elated with that last goal when Suarez and Sturridge are on the jailbreak. Suarez scored. And as the ball went over the line, did you see Sturridge? He was furious with Suarez that he didn't pass to him. And that is the kind of hunger 
You want a senior forward, Stephen? That's so good. It's so good. He's in love. Brendan Rodgers and his team are playing like he's a man in love. Just saying, my mate Michael Cohen yeah. texted me. He said, the craziness of this English Premier League season mm-hmm. was captured at the beginning of the game. A team walked out on the pitch resplendent in their red kit while fans in the stand lifted up their blue scarves. Wheels within wheels. Or as they say in Welsh, David, Onion, gidag, onion. Which means... Wheels within wheels. Thank you, Google Channel. Man City 5, Fulham 0, Fulham. Yaya Toure nets his first hat-trick in English football. The number of goals, Rog, to return uh, City back to their free-scoring ways of yore and boost their confidence ahead of the Manchester derby today. Etihad, Fortress once more. Yeah. Biggest win since November. It's like all the times. 5-0 and Mm -hmm. even the McKellis scored, David. Poor Fulham. What do you think? What do you think their manager did after this game? Um, I think he probably um, beat some kittens. <laughs> yes. like that kind of guy in his little yes. laboratory. Oh, Felix is quite a name, isn't it? Yeah, right out of the laboratory. Uh, he would not have been pleased with Fernando Arrubieta, the Premier League's first ever Venezuela, oh. who gave away two penalties and got a red card within yeah. 50 minutes. He might be the Premier League's last Venezuelan. Yeah, yeah, Torre. Yeah. Converted them both. His hat-trick came on a three-point shot from way downtown. Yeah. And then Kieran Gibbs, lookalike. Another one. The league's full of them, Davo. Fernandinho. Mm-hmm. He crushed that fourth. But then Di Michelis stood up. I loved it. It was probably the goal of the weekend. You can keep your Roonies. You can keep your Tetties. I love Di Michelis. Uh-huh. Tapping in from Brecce range and then saluting the crowd like, Freddie Mercury live in concert. City, ne- I promise you, City fans will never forget where they were the day Di Michelis smiled, David. Oh, wow. One, one negative, David. City are not getting goals from strikers. They all came from attacking midfielders. Negredo, Dzeko, with Kun Aguero out, they both seem like the poor man's Josie Altador right now. So we will say, I did love the photos of Hope Sola travelling to Manchester and taking photos with Joe Hart. I've no, I can't think of two people. Can you think of two people who I don't like to get involved in other people's business, but please don't have a baby? Wow. Be a good keeper. Oh, it'd be a terrible keeper. Even if it was a nuclear Armageddon, they uh-huh. were the last two people alive. I don't think they should skirt. Did you watch NBC Sports' new series, 36 Hours? Or Manchester 36? I don't know exactly what it's called. But they're, they're following Manchester City for 36 hours before they go and play a big game. Oh. <sighs> It's the new being Liverpool, Rog. It's yeah. brilliant. Was it? Was I was it watching good? it with my nine-year-old, and her comment as we were watching it, and it was a series of shots of the stadium in rain, Edin Dzeko driving his car in the rain, everything, and the shots of Manchester in the background. And JJ looked at me and just said, what is that place? And I said, JJ, that's Manchester. <laughs> and she just looked with this grimace on her face, and she goes, that's Manchester? Very, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. She won't be going up there she's, in a hurry. She's a little bit... She's on the Carlos Tevez side of Manchester appreciation. Uh, I've just thought of a worse twosome to have a baby day. If Anne Hathaway and Sam Allardyce. Oh, I thought you were going to say Anne Hathaway and Luis Suarez. <sighs> oh, God. <yeah>, that... <laughs> that, honestly, that, that would have some noshers That, that, that makes me think that sometimes it's better if the human race just fades away like a dodo. <laughs> uh, Everton, three, Rod, Swansea, two. Everton continue their march of folly, you must have written this, towards the Europa League outlasting an increasingly relegation-threatened Swansea City, Rog. Now, you say towards the Europa League, but let me just consult my 
Premier League table here, Rog. Tables lie, David. I'm telling you, Everton... They give false hope. Everton, right, 20, played 29, points 54. Arsenal in fourth place right now, played 30, points 62. You're going to say they're eight points behind them. They don't stand a chance. Well, they've got a game in hand. Imagine Everton win that game in hand. That takes them to 57 points, just five points behind Arsenal. Who do Everton still have to play, Rog? On April 6th. At home. At 8.30am. A team that play very badly away from home against the best teams in the Premier League. They have to play Arsenal. Mm-hmm. If they win their game in hand and they beat Arsenal, they are just two, deux points, two points, dos puntos, behind Arsenal for that final place yeah. in the Champions League. Dream and believe, my friend. You can make it, you can do it, you can do it. Everton's season is not lost. Dave, oh, I've seen Charlie Brown run at the football as Lucy holds it for him to kick and then pull it away at the last second. I'm but this isn't about like the folly towards the Europa League anymore. You now need them to win to make it to leap over the Europa League position and go into the Champions League, Rog. This is your chance. You have not had a better chance in the last God knows how many seasons to make it into the Champions League, get behind your team and believe in them, I've read a lot of Greek mythology. I know about sirens trying to lure sailors onto the rocks with their singing, and I will not go near those or rocks, you David. Me I will not go near those rocks. I, I mean, hope. Yeah. Hope. Don't come with me with your hope. Don't come yeah. with me with your dreams. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't believe in either. I believe in... Shattered dreams. I believe in pain. I believe in suffering. Look, it's a little bit exciting. I believe in There's Nigel more than you. Uh, no, no, no. There's a tingling. That David. could be because I skirtled you before. Can the I show. say what? I, can I say what made me believe? Yeah. Tim Howard, massive, massive saves down the stretch in this game. Yeah. Toward, towards the end of the game, a late cameo by human halitosis personified John Joe Shelf. He made this game a little too close. I mean, my sphincter may or may not have sealed itself medically. <laughs> After Ashley Williams made it 3-2. But Tim Howard, down the stretch, remarkable game when Everton needed him. And he jumped into the air and he punched the air. And there was massive, massive air. I mean, the guy must have been about five and a half feet off the ground with his captain's armband. And you realise just how much it means to these guys. Um, I'll say the big shot in this game was we got a penalty. Yeah. Chico Flores with a kind of defensive clumsiness that might make him a Liverpool transfer target uh-huh. uh, in the off-season. Uh-huh. Very hard to well, give a penalty. Don't get Florezed. I spoke to Paul uh, Paul Cart. Yeah, because I had a hunch. He Does said, he have another stat? He said um, over the course of the last four years of the teams that have been ever present in the Premier League, Everton are bottom in penalties earned. Thirteen, two fewer than any other team. You know who's had the most, David? Who? Chelsea. Good. 30 penalties. Stop maiming those little horses in the yeah, box. Yeah, everybody's trying to foul Chelsea in Listen, the area. They're so fragile. Uh, that's it. We will, uh, I'll say this. We have to play Arsenal. We have to play City. We have to play United still. But football's about dreaming. Did you just put Arsenal and United in the same sentence as City in terms of very, very difficult fixtures? Football's about dreaming. And you have to I'll play, say, on the one hand, Nigel you've got to play City. Nigel fans can do that. And Nigel fans Arsenal can do that for another couple of weeks longer, David. Okay, West Ham. All I say, when it comes to Everton and life, the Cossacks are always <laughs> at the always door. Always at the door. West Ham nil, nul point. Man United to captain Wayne Wazza Rooney scores two goals, one from just outside of Manchester, Rod. And Moyes United are now on a tiny, 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 tiny little miniature roll, little sausage roll. <laughs> <laughs> With a little... Sticking it. Still feel sorry for David Moyes, David. His yeah, whole life on. appears to have turned into one of those Spiral of Doom commercials that Direct TV run, mm-hmm. where one terrible fate 
kind of falls out of another propelling your way past rock bottom mm-hmm. they beat Olympiakos an amazing European night yeah huge but then Robin Van Persie stretched it off yeah you managed to score a hat trick and then the football gods conspire to dispatch Bayern Munich as your quarterfinal opponents yeah but he felt confident enough to release Shinji Kagawa from the gimp mask and shackles he's been wearing for the past four months. <laughs> in that little he's been room in the dungeon. The stairs. And I have to say, Kagawa looked none the worse for wear. He's very inventive on the left. Wayne Rooney! Waza! Is he wearing dirt as Latan Cologne, David? I don't know what he's wearing. Thunderous moment of divine inspiration. What a goal. Fantastic goal. I bet you're not even Matthew McGonaghy in 10 years' time could score that goal, David. Yeah. Did you it's amazing it? how insane the Premier League weekend was. That we're not all talking about that goal. That we're talking about everything else other than that goal. But that goal was something special. And Wayne Rooney, uh, Adrian Durham has a column in uh, in the Daily Mail that Wayne Rooney has to sort of take those moments of magic. And he's got to go to the World Cup and he's got to perform on the World Cup. Yeah, know, I mean, it was. Show that he's a world-class player. Beautiful moment. Adrian ran back in goal like a centre fielder backing up to the warning track as yeah. a home run bomb sailed over his head. But this goal was technique, physical ability, decision-making. Yeah. The thing I love most about it was David Moyes' celebration. Uh-huh. He's fist-pumping on the sideline as if 51-yard strikes were something he'd had his players train on all week. <laughs> yes, I did it. Yes. Um, Me. Second goal for Rooney. Poacher's goal, as they keep saying. 212 goals for the club. Third highest in club history. United fans still a little ambivalent about him. Probably based on his own slightly dodgy emotional connection to the club. Uh, tepid West Ham very very meek in what ultimately Davo and this is what I told myself at the end was just a mid table battle of little consequence uh, there's now in the rundown Davo looks perfunctorily at the bottom of the table uh, oh, Fulham you know what you say Fulham are going down but still they're in touch with the teams above them you're right uh, Swansea City still in some danger West Brom Crystal Palace or oh, Rebecca Lua. Um, Sunderland, poor Josie. Well, let's talk about Josie. Jeff Cameron has now more goals in the Premier League than Josie Altidore. Yeah, Josie, I've got to say, if you're an American and you care about the future of democracy, or you want to believe in Jurgen Klinsmann's US team in the World Cup, never, ever, 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 ever pop the word Altidore into a Twitter search while Sunderland are playing. At Brain Eagles. I've mentioned this before and we'll do again. We may as well play a large dead animal rather than Josie Altador. And possibly the worst and not funny at all. At Mickey J S A F C. I wish Josie Altador was first class on the effing Malaysian missing plane. Oh, that's I terrible. mean, just hundreds and hundreds of horrific tweets, each one uh, worse than the last. And all we say is Josie, courage. And Teddy, that Norwegian wonder strike for Norwich against yeah. Sunderland. My goal of the week, David. Yeah, really. Better than Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Better than Waza. Beautiful. Okay, Rog, uh, joining us now, uh, welcoming him back to the pod, the pioneering New Jersey-born coach. He's managed the U.S. through the 2010 World Cup, the pharaohs of Egypt through a turbulent time to the brill, to say the least, to the brink of the 2014 World Cup. <sighs> He's now relocated to Scandinavia, hello, to become the first American coach to manage a team in the European top tier at Steinbeck in the Norwegian Tippelagen, hot off his induction into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame and ahead of this Sunday's season opener against Sigmund. We welcome back to the pod, Bob Bradley. Roger, how are you? Oh, hi, nice oh, welcome. Hi, oh, welcome. Yes. How is the herring treating you, Bob? We're doing well. Uh, 
the people here uh, really reached out with open arms to uh, my wife Lindsay and I, and uh, you get started, you go to work. Uh, so we arrived on January 2nd, and uh, we started preseason on January 7th. And uh, most days, even with the cold and the snow, outdoors, uh, <laughs> synthetic field, uh, one of the training fields at Staubach, and they clear the field, and the players are accustomed to being outside and training. And now, finally, after a long preseason, we're ready to, to begin for real. And no matter where you coach, that's uh, always exciting to get going. Well, from the U.S. to Cairo to Byram, Norway, You've landed, as I understand it, in a beautiful part of the world. Forests, hills, the Oslo Fjord, islands, Norway's biggest oven museum. Can you give our listeners a taste of the area so that we can picture you? Um, well, we live uh, in Sandvika, which is just uh, a suburb of uh, Oslo. And Barum, which is the, the community where... Uh, Stabak is located. It is also just a western suburb of Oslo. Uh, Stabak is a small club. Uh, they have an interesting, exciting, short history. They, uh, they were a group of people. Um, uh, when Stabak uh, was in the fourth or fifth league, going back like 15 years, and they decided that they wanted to see the club make it to the top league. Um, that uh, they wanted to win a cup. And so they got going, and, and they achieved great things. They did win a cup. They did make, uh, make it all the way to Tipa Liga. And uh, yet a couple years ago, uh, as happens in business and in sports, uh, the winds changed, and financially they ran into some big problems, and the bottom fell out. And at the end of that some of the same people that uh, had this spirit to begin with were still standing and still motivated, and they're the ones that I met when I came here. And uh, I really felt that uh, it's a small club with a big heart, and uh, they've got a good philosophy. There's a good structure. Um, things are at a, on a small scale. Uh, Sabak at the moment probably from what everyone tells me, has the, the smallest budget in Tipa Liga. But uh, now the, the, lead, the team is back um, in Tipa Liga. Uh, they won promotion last year. So there's an excitement and there's a challenge now to take a young team and make it exciting and make it positive and compete and stay up and try to finish as high as we can. I mean, they, as you said, they just got promoted back. They blah. Uh, Nadarud Stadion is 7,000-seater capacity. And here you've been stopping at no end to get this team ready. You even took them on a bonding downhill skiing expedition where you skied for the first time in 20 years, which is just a reminder, if any of us needed one, that you will stop at nothing to get a team ready, Bob. But Well, that wasn't my idea, this ski trip. But uh, <laughs> they, they, they said when I arrived that it was part of the team building. And so three and a half hours away is... Uh, up in the mountains, a beautiful area, Hemsedal. And there we were a uh, couple days, uh, and, and the players loved it. They all have grown up on skis, um, unlike, unlike me, for sure. Unlike the Metro but, Stars, Bob. Yes, much different, <laughs> much different than uh, Egypt. But uh, most, mostly we've really tried um, 
to establish a good way of training every day, try to raise the bar a little bit, give these guys an idea now that uh, what it's going to take to be a good team. Uh, in those ways, Roger, the the ideas are, are things that I've uh, experienced before, whether it's mm-hmm. trying to push a, a, a Princeton team to to compete uh, amongst the best teams in Division One, whether at times uh, in, in Major League Soccer where you have a, a younger group. We had a young team at the Metro Stars and now trying every day to get them to understand uh, when the level gets higher, uh, how you raise your game, how you compete at a better level, what it's all about. And uh, you know, many of the young players that I've worked with over the years, you, you try to push them uh, out of a comfort zone. You try to challenge them about uh, pushing their limits a little more. And, and so I find that this is what the, the early months have been about. Uh, we've seen progress. We've had some stretches of, of uh, really good football, um, but we still don't sustain it enough. And so uh, we have our our work to do still to mature and understand how to how to play for ninety minutes. But players have responded really well. They're good guys. Um, everyone here uh, is picking Staubach for the bottom. So we've got a lot of motivation, and we're out to to prove people wrong. Not here, Bob. We've got we've got money on you to win the thing. But the, <laughs> good. You've got you've got budget problems. You've got your roster is young. I'd say it's talent rich, experience not so rich. I mean, you turned down a well paid MLS job to do this. I read a delightful story in the Norwegian paper Buddhist Sticker uh, that there was a gathering of league coaches before the season, and they started off that one of the coaches said, "What on earth are you doing here in Norway?" They said to you, and everybody laughed. You have a very clear idea of what you're doing in Norway. Can you articulate a sense of what's driving you right now? It was time for a new challenge. Uh, I always considered myself a club coach and had the chance for for seven years to become a national team coach, especially when you get the opportunity in your own country. It's an honor. But the idea of being back every day inside a club where as manager you – set the tone and and you have to pay attention um, to how everything works Um, make sure that that um, from the first team on down things are being done the right way and you know i i obviously spent uh 11 years in major league soccer too uh, as as an assistant at dc united and nine years as a head coach and have seen the league grow in so many ways. But I, I think for me, I, I felt uh, the next step needed to be in Europe and that there's still something about the, uh, even in a small league, uh, 30 fixtures, uh, a cup, uh, certainly even even small clubs uh, in Norway like Stabæk. Uh, every week there's scouts from so many European clubs and so this time around, I felt like those were things that uh, I needed. And I've always enjoyed the idea of getting into a situation and now um, looking around and getting a feel for how things work and trying to 
uh, challenge everybody from the equipment man to the sporting <laughs> director to the chairman to say, come on, this is this is how we need to work if we're going to get better. Uh, this is, uh, you're, you're going in the right direction, but our idea of, of good isn't, isn't really what it should be. We've got to push harder. And, and so, you know, I've gotten myself into trouble uh, over the years at times because when you push the people above you and let them know that we need to do things better, not everyone likes it, but it's the only way to work. And then eventually you try to build something that uh, has a chance. And so for me, it's it's uh, it's a new challenge and, and one that I'm really excited about. One of, the, one of the stories I've enjoyed most, Bob, is you bringing American players back to European football. Michael Stevens, a young Galaxy player who you signed, and, and how he came across in, in remarkable fashion. He announced he'd, quote, give his arm to play for Bob Bradley, paid for his own airline ticket to Norway to try out, and then the fans contributed to his salary, um, and he's referred to now as a supporters spillerin, a supporters player. Who's got more of a stigma, do you think, attached to them in Europe? American players in the eyes of European coaches or, or, or American coaches? Uh, it's all the same. Uh, we're trying to earn respect. And uh, it's interesting because uh, along the way, uh, now I've had a chance to to coach against some pretty big names. And um, as I've met up with many of those guys after the match or a month later or a year later, uh, so often the respect of the way our team played and how we competed is there. But it doesn't always carry over to uh, the decision makers for jobs. It doesn't always carry over to the media. So uh, coaches, players, when you get here, you have to try to show people that you're good, that you know what you're doing. Uh, I've known Mike Stevens for a long time because uh, his family uh, was was part of Chicago Soccer's. He competes at a good level, and uh, our supporters saw what he brought to the team in some of the preseason friendlies, and um, and they got involved. So it's the way the club works. It's the way things happen here. It's, it's not on a big scale, but I said it before, the people who are in and around Staubach are really, uh, are really into it. Uh, I met with the supporters the other day, and mm-hmm. it was supposed to be a half-an-hour talk, and I think it ended up being uh, close to two hours because uh, they love the team and, and they they, they want to feel that uh, they can support a team that's going to give everything they have on the field. And they knew that Mike would be a guy that would push us in that direction. Mm. Uh, can I ask you, what, what, what is your end game in this? What, what, what phase of your coaching career do you see yourself in right now? And where in your mind does it end up, Bob? First, uh, whatever I'm involved in anything, um, I always believe that the only way you have any chance to be successful is to be fully focused and committed on that. So um, I signed a two-year contract here, and, and the idea now in two years is to make a young, exciting team and see... Um, how high we can go and, and make sure that things in the academy and in our youth teams are are challenged in a way that there's more uh, 
talent coming through in the years to come. So that, that's first. Um, I think if those type of experiences go well, if we can have a team that people enjoy watching and plays good football, if there's young players that are coming through, um, then that will open up other doors. And then maybe there's a chance to to go to another club uh, and do it again, whether that club's in Europe still or whether it's in, in MLS. I've always tried in the different situations to make sure that you're looking at the younger players in the area, that you're pushing them, that, that, that you're, even if it's not done in the same way as Europe, that you're still trying to do the best you can with the moving parts of U.S. youth soccer, which have changed a lot because now most of the clubs do have their own academies and there is more attention from top to bottom. But I think I've always been doing that uh, wherever I've been. And, and so you come here, and it's a small club, and it's a real chance to put your uh, hands into everything. And, and you know, right down the hallway in the, the little offices uh, uh, are all the youth coaches. And so the chance they come and watch our training sessions every day when I'm uh, free in the afternoon. I watch what's going on with our youth team. So this part I enjoy. Uh, I I feel like that part's improving a lot in MLS when I did discuss things with um, the ownership in Vancouver. They're really eager to do things right, which was part of uh, the appeal for me of that situation. Um, and I know in many clubs things are going in a good direction. So I, I'm happy to see that. But that's always been uh, a part of, of what I've enjoyed when uh, I'm involved coaching a team. How long, Bob? And you, you, you did interview at West Brom uh, before Steve Clark took the job there. How long do you think it will take before we see an American-born English Premier League coach? That's a good question. Um, uh, I mentioned before decision-makers. Uh, I, I've had coaches that have seen me work, uh, European coaches, coaches in the premiership, assistant coaches in the premiership, uh, who have said to me that you should be working in a bigger league. You should be working in the premiership. You should be working in the Bundesliga. And I, every time I say to them, thanks, that's a compliment. But uh, if it's not happening now, then I'm also really happy to go to Tippeliga and to go to Stavak. Eventually, uh, maybe maybe somewhere along the line, there's there's an opening, and the person who's deciding the next manager uh, will have paid attention to something that uh, that an American has done, and it'll mean something to them. Uh, so, you know, we we often talk about the really top managers in Europe, and uh, you know, uh, when I've watch teams play. I mean, how can you not respect Pep Guardiola? How can you not respect Mourinho? The job that Diego Simeone does at Atletico Madrid, Jurgen Klopp. There's a lot of really, really good managers. Uh, I'm not going to give you names, but I'll tell you what, there's more really bad ones. <laughs> there's some teams that I watch week in and week out, and I just shake my head and say, they're stepping on the field for a big game and there's not one player that looks like he's ready to 
raise his level and compete and give everything. And so, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, uh, you see some of these teams play. You see uh, tactically how they go about things. You see, in some cases, just teams that don't really compete at a high level, games that get out of hand with, with players that look like they could care less. And you think, ah, come on, you know, give me a chance. But, you know, it, it's going to happen at some point, but I couldn't tell you when. Last question for you, Bob. You, you always seem to me so self-assured in what you do and how you do it. Do you ever suffer from self-doubt? And, and if so, what do you do to counter that? Along the way at different times, uh, you find out if you can handle yourself in tough situations. Um you know, I, I, I've worked for some good people and I've worked for some people that you knew behind your back <laughs> weren't supporting you and, and weren't really with you. And whenever I was in the tough situations, I found that it didn't change me one bit. It didn't take away um, the pride in what I was doing. It didn't take away the enjoyment that I had to go in with that team every day and challenge the players that we were going to be a good team and that we were going to compete and play for each other. And so when you've been tested and you, you walk away and say, ah, no problem, I can do it. And, you know, when, when you work as a manager, uh, you can't worry about what's happening tomorrow, whether you're going to lose your job, uh, contract, interim. I know all about interim. Uh, <laughs> It, it doesn't matter because the person in charge, whether it's the president of the federation, whether it's the president of the club, the chairman, whatever, they can walk in any day and say, okay, you're out. And so if you spend time worrying about that, you have no chance. If you think about that when you're running training sessions or making decisions, the players will see through it in five seconds. And so, you know what? You, 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 you take each group, you challenge it, you do it the way you know is right. Um, you know, some of the players that I have still the closest relationships with have been the toughest guys where along the way we challenged each other and, and sometimes got into it in a real way. They weren't the players that always nodded their head and agreed. Um, you know, I, I I have a great relationship still with Christo Stoichkov. Um, mm. You know, Christo was as competitive and fiery as any player. And along the way, sometimes he and I didn't agree. And, you know, in those funny moments, he would say, no, mister. And, and I would say, I'm, this isn't mister. This is you and me. <laughs> and, and And we would then eventually laugh about it. And so you, 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 you're, you're having those kind of hard conversations. But when all is said and done, I've, I've found those are the guys that also um, I've stayed the closest with over the years. So it just means if you do things uh, the way you believe they need to be done, if you are strong, if you listen, if you're not afraid of challenges, uh, I think you have the best chance. And so for me, that's how it's always been. Um, if any, any of the guys that played at Princeton listen to your podcasts, 
they'll all be laughing and chuckling because uh, <laughs> they all know stories along the way of uh, training sessions that continued because, you know, we were going to get a winning goal one way or another, or, uh, you know, but, but this for me is, is how you create a good environment. Uh, uh, and I always believe the best players love being in an environment where they're challenged and pushed. It doesn't surprise me, Bob, because to be honest, talking to you always, I feel about football. When I talk to you about football, I always feel you teach me uh, about life. And I think many of our listeners agree with me and feel that an opportunity to listen to you makes them better people, which knowing our listeners as I do, Bob, is an amazing feat. We will all be cheering for Steinbeck uh, in the season ahead, following you week to week and and we're grateful for you joining us and to you and your wife we wish you for the year ahead godspeed thanks bob bradley thank you very much roger amazing man rog one of our faves what a role model i've got to say for me personally david why he hasn't had a chance to go and manage one of the big european clubs i really hope this happens probably because he's not spanish um but uh would be great to see i'm sure the tip of Lagen is wonderful he sounds excited about his job uh, in Norway, but I'd love to see him managing one of the uh, one of the clubs in the big leagues of Europe. Okay, Rog, Ravens from Ricardo Martinez from uh, Denver, Colorado. Oh, perhaps a relation. Dear El Devo and Rogerio, did you find hombres make time to watch El Clasico? <laughs> Goals, red card, diving, penalties, Pepe. It has been hailed as the Clasico of the century. What did you make of it all? Amore, Ricardo. I didn't watch it, Rog, I have to be honest. And I, I wanted to watch this Classico, and I tuned in in the man loft uh, to uh, where I've just moved in and to watch Being Sport. And I hadn't subscribed to Being with Time Warner. And I called the phone, but literally it was busy, busy. No doubt, lots of other people trying to get Being to watch the Super Classico. So uh, I didn't get to see it. Um, you missed quite I watched a some of the highlights. The I watched some of the highlights later. <laughs> A sausage fest. They had eight guys in the studio. Yeah. And Kay Murray on the sideline. They uh-huh. get Kay Murray front and centre. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. No, we love Kay. We had her on the radio previewing it on Ray, Friday. Ray Hudson's daughter. Ray Hudson's a lot daughter. Of people know that. Yeah. What was her song that she uh, she requested a song she used to go and dance to? Well, Ghostbusters was the first record she bought, <laughs> but she liked all of that clubland music of the uh, early, early 90s. 90s. Early She's an 90s. amazing woman. Uh, it was an amazing game. End to end stuff. It, to me, it was wonderful in its preposterousness. It had everything, everything apart from defense. Yeah. I used to live on the kibbutz, David, in yeah. the early 90s. And the biggest, I was a cowboy. I used to milk cows. Oh, there's so much I don't Amazing know. Amazing days. I have no idea of what happened with you from the moment you left university. I almost became until I met I almost you. Became what me. year did you leave university? 1948. No, right what year did you leave the university? Brazil World Cup 19... in 1950. I honestly don't remember. 1992, I think. Okay. So between 1992 and 2008 when I met you. Yeah. Sorry, 2006 when I met you. Yeah. Have you seen the Bourne Identity? I have no have idea what Bourne you did Identity? for those 14 years. I woke up on it. You went to law a, school. A fishing boat went to law school. in the middle of the Atlantic. I didn't yeah. remember my own name. I tried to rip out something from my arm. And, and then I in Washington, D.C. I don't recover know why my memory and my life. I don't remember any of it. Yeah. There were people who made me do things, David. They told me it was for the country's good. Did you have a profession? I do I have one now, Dave? Can we talk about this? Okay, so when we were on kibbutz, yeah. as a cow husband, the biggest... When were you on a kibbutz? I don't remember, Dave. I was a mission. After university, was before university. They made me dye my hair this ginger. This is like a Daniel Silver novel. It was amazing. 
The thing that all the kibbutzniks love to do, the highlight of the Why week. won't you tell me when you were on a kibbutz? I can't remember. World okay. Wrestling Federation. This yeah. me, uh, they, they loved it. They loved it. We'd watch Cactus Jack and The Undertaker. Those are the guys they loved. <laughs> this classic out was just like watching Cactus Jack and The Undertaker. Uh-huh. And when Sergio Ramos was sent off, mm-hmm. half of me expected him to come back onto the field with a collapsible chair mm-hmm. and just gob in the Esther over the back of the head with it. It wouldn't have felt far-fetched. Messi was magic. Far from finished, as most of the media have been trying to write so desperately all season. Argentinian fans, David, they'll be very happy also that Di Maria was yeah. really oh, imperious, uh, which could hardly be said of Bale or Neymar. But we've got to talk about the real star of the whole thing. Because I've realised Spanish football is not about the game or about football. It's really about Ray Hudson. Mm-hmm. He treats the football as background music for his book reading. <laughs> He was amazing. He described one of the players as a kestrel, he did. which I thought was great. And he, uh, Messi shanked a shot, a clear shot on goal. He just shouts out, oh, he makes a garlic milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, a garlic milkshake. I imagine him, when Messi netted his hat-trick towards the end of the game, I imagine Ray Hudson in a string vest, looking like Jack Nicholson in that departed party scene, sweaty, shirt wide open, surrounded by bowls of blow. And just generally feeling like he's going to live forever, which I hope is the case, David. No, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's one of the greats. That Atletico Madrid bandwagon, it's getting bigger and bigger. The well, late in Orient of La Liga. Well, what a, what a table in La Liga. Uh, we talk about the, the, the three-horse race in the Premier League, three-horse race in La Liga. You know, something we haven't seen for a very, very, very long time, Rog. How do you say today in Spanish? Uh, isn't it oi? Um, that's on our other podcast, Uy yeah. La Liga. Yeah, how do you say today in Spanish? That's an entire <laughs> podcast. Uh, from Nicholas Swanson. He's from Forest Lake, Minnesota. Hey, Blazers, I recently heard a commercial for a game in the most prestigious of competitions, the Guinness International Champions Cup, the live still a at trophy. TCF Bank Stadium at the University of Minnesota, Manchester City versus Olympiacos. Clearly, this is an exhibition match featuring weakened sides. More of a chance to watch the new kits than the players. Truly competitive games played by European teams will obviously never be something that happens in North America. Well, never say never. And efforts to extend brands to the MLS, to an MLS, are about as hollow as the efforts to put soccer team logos on race cars. Are overseas fans taken seriously? Are we equals when compared to English or European supporters, even though we might not see a serious game played by our club? (laughs) That's from Nick. Nick, why so negative? I actually think the good news is the owners of many of the teams, and this Guinness field is kind of absolutely deep in European triumph, I think they care more about you than they do about the fans that live in their own zip code, David. Yeah. I mean, I've written about this a lot, how the business model of football has changed since the 80s, when it was about putting bums on seats and filling the stadia. Now it's a race to become Coca-Cola, to become Apple, um, and really build that global brand. There's 4.7 billion, says the English Premier League, people who watch in 212 territories around the world. They care so deeply about that growth. They actually care more about you than the fans in their own zip code who they jerk around with jersey changes, uh, making them do horrific journeys to, wa- <laughs> to try and watch the team away. Uh, the name changes. It's changed unbelievably, David. Yeah. It's funny... I sort of am sort of feeling like, how would it work the other way around? So let's say you're a massive, massive Chicago Cubs fan. And uh, you go over to Britain and you meet some guy in a bar in Luton who is a huge Chicago Cubs fan. He's never been to Chicago. He's never been to see the Cubs. 
But he knows the history of the Cubs. He knows the current roster. He knows the stats. Many American soccer fans know their clubs way better than people in England do. He his, but he knows he everything about son, them. Harry Carey. Yeah. Harry. How, how would you as a Cubs fan feel about that person in Luton who's never been to the club, has never been to it, but seems to bleed Chicago Cub red, white, and blue? You know, I don't know. I personally welcome that fan. I think that fan is just as valid, has just as I'd much kiss reason. Him on the mouth. I think other people wouldn't. But I think, it's, I think it's just as valid. I'm so impressed by American fans of the English Premier League. Their knowledge, their passion, um, on the whole, their commitment. You know, I think there are some fans during that Tottenham-Southampton game at the weekend, I was noticing on Twitter the number of people, Tottenham fans, who seem to be leaving Tottenham during the game and switching <laughs> over to Southampton, and then, then leaving Southampton again and going back to Tottenham during the game. There are a few clubs that seem to inspire sort of slightly flip-flopping neutrals, but you know, I was recently down in Austin, Texas, as you know, and, and down at, at, at Fado and watching, you know, players, you know, supporters from, for all different clubs down there. They have absolute, absolute, absolute passion. They seem to have respect for other fans. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah, there used to be a definition called plastic fans, where if you didn't go to the game every week, you were lesser. But I think, yeah. I think the internet, I think the digital rights, I think the television rights I mean you can be just as well informed. Yeah. Your opinion matters just as much. My mate Michael Cohen, who I've yeah. already mentioned, he's yesterday's yeah. manager yeah. in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he said... He's a great player. He's Left a, footed mid... Oh no, the, uh, the, the EDM guy. <laughs> he said it used to, he used to... He grew up watching Arsenal. He yeah. said it used to all feel so tribal, just going that game, stepping over battered bodies on the way into Highbury every week. But now he says in the Emirates... He said it's no different watching an Arsenal home game there or in a Los Angeles bar. He said they've worked so hard to make the stadium experience compete with the armchair experience, the, just the comfort, the yeah. food, what's on offer there. He said even down to the same bar-style food they serve, soon it's almost impossible to tell the difference. Well, I don't know. I do think there's nothing like watching football live. I think you see, the we talked about it before, the, the way that the midfield is set up in a way that you just don't. Uh, the, 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 the position of the defensive team. You just don't really see it on television. The question, though, is really more about, like, do the teams, do the clubs, does the league take the American fan seriously? I think absolutely. I think if the Premier League could, if FIFA would allow it, they would play a 39th game, even a 38th game, maybe even maybe you know, four or five games, games. <laughs> maybe all 38 games in the United States. I think American fans, this is where the growth of the game is going to happen. Britain is a small island. It's not going to grow there. It's going to grow outside. And I think America is the future for soccer uh, and for the Premier League. And the issue of Man City's brand extension into MLS, I think it deserves its own full conversation in a yeah. future pod. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Without a doubt. Uh, there's only one week left, Rog, in our big search for a World Cup song for America. Flooding That's a catchy in, David. title. They are flooding in, and we're, we're planning a concert. If you, yeah. are, if you are finishing burnishing your lyrics, yeah. send them in. You can see our Tumblr for more details. Big prizes, Rog, including the world's only Men in Blazers customised Xbox One, hand-customised by the Genii at EA Sports, and an MIB T-shirt. Uh, made for us by our friend oh, Benjamin Hooper at lovely. Bumpy Pitch. Only five of those in the world, yeah. right, Rog? Um, uh, your weekend looks like this. Arsenal versus Man City on Saturday, March 29th at 1pm Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. What is going to happen in this game, Rog? We can't even imagine uh, what's going to happen. Believe, Arsenal fans, believe. Um, uh, Fulham versus Everton. I mean, come on, Rog. Three points. 
on Sunday, March 30th, 8 a.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network. Liverpool versus Tottenham. Sunday, March 30th, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, NBC Sports Network. By the That's way, a good game of football. Martin Skirtle will yeah. be looking at video of the Spurs high defensive line yeah. and salivating as if it were porno- pornography. He's going to score a hat-trick there. He's got, that's a lot of skirtling. MLS, uh, in the MLS, in an MLS, Real Salt Lake versus Toronto, Saturday, March 29th, 9.30pm uh, on MLS Live. Kyle Beckham and plus 10 versus Michael Bradley. So many ways plus to 10. connect to us. Uh, one is our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go to Amazon for items, big or small, just click from our page, uh, from the little link on meninblazers.com. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the costs of creating the show and keeping Alex Tepper in intelligent-looking spectacles. And your support means the world to us, we should say. It really does. Uh, in its honour, we both the feature Emporium Choices of the Week in which we post what we're reading, listening to, or watching. Rog, what are you putting in the Emporium this week? Well, here, Dave, it's something that's not on Amazon, but I'm going to depart from the format for one week and one week only, because this is our Tipalagan special. I don't like you breaking the form. Hello. Like Hello. Davo. What? We've got Bob Bradley. Yeah. Kicking off the season in our favourite league, the Tipple yeah. Argon, which we liked even before Bob Bradley got there, to be yeah. candid. And we can't see it. It's the only league. It is the only league that is not on American television. Yeah. And I want to say, I wish we at Men in Blazers had brought the American rights to the Tipple Argon, Davo. We could have popped them on our website. <sighs> Whoever has the rights to the Tipple Argon, can you put them on Amazon? So that we can... So we, we should can do this them. on Indie... Why don't we crowdfund this? We should do with Indiegogo. I met the woman that runs uh, the whole crowdfunding department now at, at William Morris Endeavour. We'll go and, with crowdfunding, go and buy on behalf of all GFOPs. God. Let's go and buy the rights to the Tipalagan and put it on, in, on Men in Blazers. Listening, on meninblazers.com. Two bitcoins. Is it uh, Mr. Lagan or Mr. Tipalagan? Mr. T. Lagan. I've got some... I don't, yeah, Mr. To whom it may concern, Do you have bitcoins? Do you really have two, two bitcoins? I'm going to give them to Norway. And I'm going to give it some farikal. Yeah. The casserole of seasonal lamb and cabbage that Norwegians seem to love. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm putting in, Rog, the, uh, you know, I've just moved into the man loft and uh, been endeavouring to get everything ready so that, housewarming so that my kids are really comfortable there. And uh, the one thing I forgot is I forgot bath toys for George. George loves a bath and he loves playing with his bath toys. You know, he's got a little octopus that he predicts the World Cup with. He, uh, he has a couple of rubber duckies. He has so many sophisticated games. Loves playing in the bath. Forgot bath toys. Needs must. So instead, this weekend, I put him in the bath. Whereas he's got no bath toys. Ran to the kitchen. You know what I picked up, which I just bought on Amazon, was the uh, Good Grips, made by OXO, three-piece utensil set. And it's three wooden spoons, Rog, in different shapes. Handed them to George in the bath. Honestly, he had his greatest bath ever using various wooden spoons, some with slots in, some without slots in them, <laughs> and played in the bath with them. Better than any bath toy. I don't know how they are in the kitchen to cook with, but if you've got a child who likes playing with toys in the bath, give them the Oxo Put Good Grips instead Nintendo of wooden Nintendo utensils. DS America. Nothing like playing with wooden spoons. Lovely playing with wooden spoons. There is something so joyous about children turning toys... Turning things into toys which are not toys. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah. putting wooden spoons in your kid's bath, <laughs> surefire way to have your son grow up to hate you. <laughs> no, no, please don't say that. In the man loft, I'll cry. Um, okay, Rog. Uh, new listeners. 
Uh, please download our best of album, top the comedy charts a few months ago. Still good. doing well. Still selling. Still it selling. The, I bought it the other day. <laughs> I buy, buy one a week. Men in Blazers unbuttoned. <laughs> now that's what I call suboptimal. Uh, and here is a commercial message, uh, Rod, from our corporate <laughs> overlords at Grantland. If possible, could you have the guys promote the new podcast channel on YouTube on this week's Men in Blazers? The URL they should mention is youtube.com forward slash, maybe backslash, Grantland podcasts. Um, yeah. So when you use the YouTube one, Rog, yeah. you can actually, if you want to go back now and listen to this, but you want to skip over our whole, co- if you're Arsenal an Arsenal fans. fan, you don't want to listen to Chelsea Arsenal, you could have, you could have basically avoided all of that by and, seeing it on the menu. Oh, thank you, Grantland. You can find us at meninblazers.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at MC Davis, at Rog Bennett, at Men in Blazers. Like us on Facebook. Email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens. To the crap part of Soho. Don't be I hope, shy. I hope the weather, I uh, hope it gets warmer, Rog. The Ravens love a bit of proper spring uh, weather. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Boom patterns. Feral donkeys. Courage. Size of the day. Is that your analysis? Kung fu fight in America. Love you, David. Love you, Rog. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or... Go to grantland.com and click on podcast.